Welcome to the final episode of season one of the Where We Belong podcast, hosted by yours truly, Olivia Eisenhower. I'm thrilled to bring on who I think is the perfect closer, if you will, and the one and only Paula Bovin, who is not only the only woman on the college football playoff committee, but also was the first female to be inducted in the Arizona Sports Hall of Fame in 2017, is an award-winning newspaper reporter and columnist for the Arizona Republic previously, the former president of the Association of Women's Sports Media, and now the director of the Phoenix Sports Bureau at Arizona State University. I know that was quite the mouthful, but let's get right into it. After I got out of college at the University of Illinois, I was trying to find a job. I mean, I knew all, I always knew I wanted to be a sports writer, and so I applied and applied and couldn't find anything. So I worked at a long-distance phone service and then... Um, Started working at the Chicago Tribune just part-time as a stringer covering high school games. And so I did that for two years and then landed at the Camarillo Daily News, which was a small daily outside of Los Angeles. Uh, Spent probably four years there. Uh, Then worked in Los Angeles for uh, maybe like 10 years at, at the Daily News. And also I was a sports radio talk show host and then ended up at the Arizona Republic and uh, spent most of my career there, you know, more than two decades, uh, part of it writing a sports column. And then I kind of got burnt out of sports and decided I wanted a career change. And fortunately the Cronkite School is about two blocks from the Republic. (laughs) So uh, that's where I've been since. Where, because you said you knew you wanted to go into sports. So where did that kind of come from? So that came from my dad. Um, You know, I mean, early on, when I was young, I knew, like I used to put eye black on my Barbies. My mom used to try to give me these dolls and I would put eye black on them. So I knew I I wasn't going the girly route. Um, And so I I just love sports. And my dad was a big White Sox fan. And so I used to go to these baseball games with him. And my dad was a great guy, but he was, um, he'd work all day, come home tired. We didn't talk much, but man, when we went to a White Sox game, he was like a different person. He was just so upbeat, so happy. And I thought, I remember thinking even very young, um, I think I want to get into sports somehow or some way, just because I like the environment so much. So that's really what fueled it was my relationship with my dad and baseball. Um, so like, because I'm sure just now being a woman in sports, like it's somewhat difficult, but I'm sure it was even more difficult than what were the big, like, what were some of the things you were told going through school, going into sports and from either males or anyone really? You know, what was so funny when I was at the University of Illinois, I mean, it was a novelty to have women, women writing sports, but I didn't really feel it at that time. I was working with peers who respected me and so when I got out of the U of I I thought this is gonna be easy you know I'm just gonna make bright sports for a living <laughs> yeah not quite um, it just wasn't like uh, the first years in the business like I went I remember covering my first assignment um, one of my first assignments at the Camarillo Daily News where I worked was to go down to Dodger Stadium and cover this player named Terry Pendleton he was with the Cardinals the Cardinals were in town And he was a local guy from the area around Camarillo. And so it was my first trip in the clubhouse. I walk in, um, immediately felt something land on my shoulder. It was a jock strap. And a 
a St. Louis Cardinals player came up to my face and said, are you here to interview somebody or to look at a bunch of, and said a not very nice word. Um, and I was just humiliated. I just didn't expect that. And I turned around, I said, no, I'm here to interview Terry Pendleton. I didn't see him. So I turned around, walked out of the clubhouse and almost ended my career there. You know, it just was like, it was humiliating. Fortunately, a very nice male journalist um, uh, walked out with me, said, I'm really sorry that happened. Got Pendleton and um, just uh, gave me a nice interview. But at that time it was like, is this what I'm facing? You know? So that was, that was, there were moments like that. The majority of the moments weren't like that. They were great, but there were just enough uh, marks throughout my career to make me sort of second guess my choice. Um, what, like you just said, it made you kind of second guess it, but what made you really keep going? Was it the passion for sports or was it something else? Um, it was, yeah, it was my passion for sports, but it was also the kindness of others. Um, Oral Hershiser, a former great Dodgers pitcher, one year I was covering the Dodgers and I was in their clubhouse. And when I used to go into the clubhouse, because uh, baseball is just tricky. It, you're, you're in their space and sometimes as a reporter, you can be there for an hour. And so it's awkward, people are changing and you kind of feel like you're intruding. So I used to walk into those clubhouses looking down at my feet. Um, I was always concerned about being, you know, questioned because of what happened with the Cardinals. Um, I would never wear perfume because I'm like, I don't want anyone to know there's a woman in here. So one day I was walking through the clubhouse and I heard this and it was Oral Hershiser, this great pitcher. And he uh, said, come on over here. And um, I'm like, oh boy. I go over there and he says, hey, I just want you to know that um, you belong in this clubhouse. You deserve to be here as much as anybody else. I want you to come here the next time with your shoulders back, look straight forward and act like you belong because you do. And it was moments like that. And that is the most memorable one for me because it was like, wow, somebody actually thinks it's okay and supported me. And that was kind of a changing, uh, a moment that changed my career and changed my perception. They just needed someone to tell me it was okay. And just because there weren't a lot of women in the business at the time, you just didn't hear it that often, so. What would you say in your very lengthy list of accomplishments at this point, what would you say is your biggest one? Oh gosh. Um, I guess just enduring, um, you know, there's some really eye-opening statistics uh, out there about how so many women get into journalism and then like five years later, they're gone, you know, and I think that's especially true of sports journalism. And I think that this business hasn't always been kind to females. And so, I don't know, I feel so fortunate to have this career, so I don't ever want to sound like I'm complaining, but I guess maybe persevering has been maybe my biggest accomplishment, I guess. Okay, I mean, can you, one of the ones that I think stands out to just about anyone, you have the picture right behind you, um, <laughs> but can you walk me through the day that they called you inviting you to be a part of the college football playoff committee? Oh gosh, yeah, that was, a, that's probably number two, my career uh, achievements, I think. Um, I was just home and I got a call from Bill Hancock who oversees the committee and I've known Bill for years. Um, 
he's he's one of the ones that handles media at the Olympics, and so I've been covered. I've been lucky to cover three Olympics, and so I know I knew Bill from there and some other places. And at the time, I was writing some articles, uh, or I had been writing some articles in the past for USA Today, and I thought maybe there had been something I wrote in the past that he was going to give me a hard time about or something. And so I didn't even call him back for a few days, which because <laughs> he just said give me a call. Uh, then I called him back, and he's uh, like, we're talking, making small talk, and he says, by the way, um, we were wondering if you'd like to be part of the college football playoff selection committee. And I about spit out my orange juice I was drinking at the time. I'm like, what? I mean, it was the farthest thing from my mind. And it turned out that the committee had recently started adding a former journalist or adding a sports journalist to the panel uh, or to the committee. And they selected me and it was the most amazing thing and it has been the most amazing thing. And I have a four-year term. I'm about to start my fourth year, and I'm really sad about even it about thinking it's not going to continue. But um, yeah, it's been pretty amazing. So, yep. What's the dynamic like inside of that room? Because I know you can't get into too much detail, but what's I mean? I'm sure it's really intense, especially towards the end of the season. But what's it really like? You know, it is. Um, Sometimes it's like sitting in a sports bar debating things, you know, without the alcohol. Um, it is just, you know, we are in a in a big room this past year, very socially distanced and with masks. But uh, we are in a normal year. We're, you know, doing our rankings. We're we each have our own opinions. You know, we all come from different backgrounds, which I think is good. Uh, we, you know, Ronnie Lott was in there who this great football player. He has sort of a perception of good football. Uh, we have a lot of athletic directors in there who've watched a ton of football. We have um, some former coaches in there, R.C. Slocum. Um, and we all bring something different. So we may see something and we compare teams and we'll debate it. And we debate a lot. And sometimes we go late into the night. But I will also tell you, it is very respectful debate. And there is absolutely no agenda in that room. And, you know, uh, um, I'm trying to think of, there was a great quote I was going to share with you related to that, but Condoleezza Rice, who was the only other woman on the committee, was there before I, um, she was held a dinner with a lot of us. And she said, of all the committees I've been on, and this is a former secretary of state, she said, of all the committees I've been on my life, this is the one that had the least agenda. And I thought that was so telling because it's true, you know? I mean, nobody is there saying you, you know, you have to do this because of this. We are absolutely ranking teams based on who we think deserves to be there, nothing else. So it's it's really fun. I'm a lot sure. of hard work, a lot of football watching, but <laughs> in a good way. I'm, I mean, I'm sure you received some backlash, but you mentioned kind of being that telling moment in the locker room. Has there ever been a moment kind of in your mind where you've second guessed, do I belong in this room of people? Um, and was there a moment that really, because there's no doubt you have the qualifications to be there, but internally, have you ever had any doubts? You know, I think any woman who is in the sports journalism realm has lived the imposter syndrome. You know, I think we've all sort of experienced it. I think, I don't think I've ever felt I didn't belong. I think maybe the first week or two I was nervous, like more because I, not so much I was a female, but because I was a journalist among 
coaches and ADs and players and things like that. But they've never made me feel that way. And any like, you know, nervousness I may have had at the beginning was uh, gone right away because they always uh, respected my voice. They never felt like they didn't want to hear my opinions. So not, not a lot of sec, I haven't had a lot of second guessing since I've been on that committee. So at the, towards the end of it, because I've read a very moving and it's very telling if if anyone can describe you the article told it perfectly but when you retired from the republic mm -hmm. and it highlighted just being the first woman inducted into the arizona sports hall of fame how was that presented to you um just kind of can you walk me through that yeah that was like another blindside phone call that i got um a friend of mine andy bagnato who is on the uh, the committee for the Arizona Sports, Hall of, Arizona Sports Hall of Fame called me and like, hey, blah, 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 blah. Oh, and by the way, I'm like, what? That was another, are you kidding me moment? And um, that was amazing because I went in with this incredible group of uh, people, you know, people like Shane Doan, uh, who represented the Coyotes so well, and Dan Marley, who was a great player with the Suns. And was a coach for GCU at the time. And it was just this amazing collection of uh, athletes. Anthony Robles, who was a wrestler at ASU. Um, so it was it was remarkable. And the the dinner they an induction was like just emotional, you know, because you as a woman in this business, you don't get a lot of accolades, at least early on. I mean, people Journalism is a hard profession anyway. You usually hear from readers when they're mad at you. <laughs> so um, you don't get a ton of accolades, especially in the era I was in. And so to stand up there and have these people recognizing me for my career was, yeah, it was emotional. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so it was really great. I feel very lucky. So where you are now, what... I mean, what is like the one thing, if you could tell any Cronkite student anything about going into the field or just life in general, what is the advice you would give them? I think, I think the thing that held me back, and I took a while to blossom as a writer, the thing that held me back was my lack of confidence. And part of it maybe was being a female in this business at, at that time but to just believe in yourself, that, they, that you do belong there and that you have every right to cover the stories you're writing. And I think uh, male or female getting in this business, confidence can take you so far when you're young. Um, and also I think just to still believe in journalism, right? there's so much, you know, fake news talk or, you know, journalism is dying. None of that's true. It's just evolving. You know, like our iPhones change every, what, six months or whatever. So does journalism. And we just have to adapt. And it's still a great profession. It is still a very noble profession. And I just, I want people to kind of keep pursuing it. What is the legacy that when someone brings up your name now in the future, what do you hope they remember you for? That's a, I don't think I've ever answered that question. That's a great question. Um, that I think that I did it the right way. You know, I was never, um, it was never about clips or clicks or about, you know, look at me, read me, of tons of self promotion. I just wanted to report the stories and report them well. And 
I hope that's what people remember me for. I think it'll be left up to them to decide. Well, thank you one more time for this season so, so much for listening to all the amazing episodes of the Where We Belong podcast with Olivia Eisenhower. And thank you again to my guests this season. Check back in in August for round number two, and I can't wait to share those guests with you as well. Have a great rest of your summer.